Folks, if you have your Bible with you, we're turning to the New Testament. I've been preaching in the Old for the last few nights, and we're turning to the New Testament. It's Mark's Gospel, the chapter 8, and we have just two verses to read from this chapter. Mark's Gospel, chapter 8, verses 36 and 7. Just as you're finding the place, I would just like to take this opportunity to concur with your minister in his remarks and words of welcome. Uh, we want to emphasize that. And we want to make sure you feel at home here in the house of God, among God's people. Uh, sometimes we get a name that we're curious people, we're odd people. Uh, there's worse things said about us, believe me, that we really couldn't say from the pulpit. But uh, you'll not find that we're monsters. You'll not find that we're so isolated from society that we're out of touch with mankind. We're not. We're down-to-earth people and we're sociable and I trust we're likable. Now, you mightn't like the preaching. <laughs> you mightn't like the length of the preaching. But I trust God will bless your heart. Amen. And I trust God will meet the need of your soul. Amen. Charles Simeon was a great preacher, you know. He's a great expositor of the word of God. Uh, but in his ministry, he suffered great trial and affliction. Uh, one of those things was he suffered great discouragement. In fact, for 12 years, he labored under a cloud. In those days, they placed ministers in churches. They didn't call them in Anglican circles. They placed the minister. On this occasion, there were two men. One, I think, was the name of Honeyford and the other, Charles Simeon, in the one church. Now, most of the church liked Mr. Honeyford. But most of the church didn't like Charles Simeon. And uh, what happened was they owned their pews in them days. They paid their money into the church. That meant they could sit where they like. People have that even though they don't pay into the church. They're like, that's my seat and nobody's sitting on it. And if I don't get that seat, I'm not coming. Whenever we were building our new church, before we had anything in, people were in to mark their spot on the ground saying, that's where I'll be sitting. But they, they decided that whenever Charles Simeon was preaching, that they would lock their pews and they wouldn't let anybody sit in them. So Charles Simeon for 12 years came into his services when he was conducting them and he had to put chairs out because those who owned the pews, little pew boxes, they wouldn't allow anyone into them if George Simeon was preaching. And this dear old lady came up to Mr. Simeon and said to him one day, he says, Mr. Sir, she said, Mr. Simeon, for 12 years, you have labored under such pressure and I, I want to know the, how you have got through 12 years of what people have been doing on you. And here's what he said, two things. One, he said, Madam, the Bible says the servant of the Lord must not strive. And two, I do not look at those who are not here, but I thank God there are those who come to hear Charles Simeon preach. So we're not looking at people who are not here tonight. <laughs> Most ministers spend their Sunday nights worried about people who weren't there. And they spend most of their years thinking and worrying and being discouraged over people who don't come. But I tell you now, we should focus on the people who do come. Amen. And thank God for them and minister to their hearts. And so I can add to the words of Charles Simeon. <coughs> And I thank the Lord there are those who have come to hear the preaching of the word tonight. And I especially and warmly welcome you in the Saviour's name. 
have to keep my remarks short because time is marching on. I don't seem to recognize time. Mark chapter 8, we get down to the burden of the message the Lord has placed on my heart and my soul tonight. Mark chapter 8 and the verse 36 and 7. Wonderful words of our Saviour. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Let's think of those words. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Let's just still our hearts for a few moments. We'll seek the Lord's face in prayer, please. Father, we thank thee for this evening once again. We thank thee, Lord, for those who have gathered in the house. We bless thee for those who have met, Lord, the half hour before the service to seek thy face in prayer. We thank thee, O God, there were some at noon today that remembered this preacher. And Lord, my heart is thrilled, and I thank thee for that. I thank thee for the ministry and song, Lord, from thy servant. We thank thee, Lord, for speaking to our hearts and and for thy servant's ministry. And we pray it will be pleasing to thee to own it and to bless it. We thank thee, Lord, for a sense of thy presence already Mm. on past nights. And we're not unmindful that before we move on this evening, uh, just to still our hearts and to Mm. thank thee, Lord, for past blessings. Mm. We don't want to be like the nine lepers who didn't return to give thanks and glory to God, having received anything from thee, Lord. And there are no small mercies from thee. They're all great mercies from God. Yet we want to be thankful for every step of the way. We do want to pause on many occasions right throughout a day and an evening and an omission and just acknowledge thee, Lord, and just thank thee for every blessing. Lord, we're not deserving of it, and yet you've bestowed it upon us, daily loading us with benefits, the God of our salvation. And Father, we pray again that this night thou wouldst do something that only thyself can do, and that is to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. Come and exalt the Son of thy love. Come and exalt, Father, we pray, thine only begotten and well-beloved Son. Glorify his precious name. Bless Spirit of the living God. Come and prepare every heart. Speak to hearts, we pray. Lift up Christ in this meeting house. And in preaching, we pray that Christ will be preeminent. To this end, I ask personally for cleansing through the blood, the infilling of thy Spirit in wisdom and with power. And Father, in answer now to prayer, Convict the sinner, bring precious souls to the Saviour, and Father, answer prayer, encourage thy people, restore the backslidden, and revive thy church. And Father, in answer now to prayer, glorify thy dear Son. We ask these things believing in the Saviour's precious and worthy name. Amen. Amen. These verses of the Lord Jesus Christ, or these words, they remind us something of the reality of the soul. Housed in that body of yours and in this body of mine is the most precious thing that we possess. It's the invisible part of man, but it is the most important part of our created being. When God created Adam from the dust of the ground, the Bible says when the body was created, he breathed into man or into his nostrils the breath of life. And in the book of Genesis, which is the book of beginnings, man became a living soul. 
and in every truth and sense, the body without the soul is dead. It's the soul that gives the body freedom and it gives and the, the body freedom. It's the soul that gives the body life. The soul, the most precious part of all of God's creation, the crown of his created work in the book of Genesis was the soul of man. Your soul distinguishes you from the animal creation. Your soul distinguishes you from angels as well. The Bible tells us that when God created man, he created him with a soul and that soul is as real as your body. Now, I have no doubt whatsoever, most people will look after their body. There are some individuals who not care too much about it. I'm one of them. And they don't care really. I'm not growing up. I'm growing out. Someone said to me one day, you're not getting round. You're getting square. A bit like SpongeBob there on the television, the wee children's program that my boys watch and I love to watch as well. But uh, many people look after their body. They go to the gym. I used to say, yes, I visit the gym twice a week. It's Jim Hebburn and a couple of gyms in my church. And uh, there's others will train. They will look after their body. They will diet. They will be careful what they eat. I, I'm not really caring what I eat. I don't eat any vegetables. My wife's here to prove that. I just like Mars bars, Marathons. I like crunchies, Twixes and crisps and uh, all the things that are good for you. And uh, people will say, well, you've got to look after your body. You've got to nourish it. I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, washed your face before you came out. I'm sure most of you and the lady folks as well would have pampered the body. The body is well looked after and catered for. And there's nothing wrong with that. I know an unsaved man. Well, I knew of an unsaved man. He's saved now. And part of his testimony was this, that he was afraid to die. And because he was afraid to die, one thing he did with an earnest heart, he looked after his body. He went running mostly every single day. He was an individual who was afraid to die. And one of the things he kept doing was he watched his diet and he kept himself fit and healthy. But the remarkable thing about that is there's a thing called sudden death syndrome. And it attacks our young people. And some of them are in the prime of life. Some Gaelic players, some rugby players, some footballers, they've all succumbed to what the doctors in the medical world come call uh, sudden death syndrome. And there seems to be nothing wrong with that young person. They have no uh, genetic medical problem. They have no difficulty with their heart or their brain or any other organ in their body. It just seems they die and there's no real reason what they can say medically that happened to that young person. And most people are concerned about their body, not only in life, but even in death. They have perhaps a little plot of ground bought, and maybe you have as well. And you know exactly where your body is going to be buried when dust returns to dust. There's a relation of mine, and uh, she's getting old, and uh, she has a great sense of humour. And she didn't mean this by way of humour, but when she said it, the entire family burst out laughing. And here's what she said. I see they've added a new part onto Lurgan Cemetery. And they said, yes. She says, I don't want to be buried there. And one of the family members says, why is that? He says, it's because it's beside a busy road. Now imagine. And they all looked at her and they says, Mama, will it really matter if there's a busy road or not for you? Now I don't, whether, don't know whether she was thinking of her family, that they were there and there's a busy road, but she was really thinking of herself. I don't want to be buried beside a busy road. 
But there are people who have literally everything planned. And if anything happened to them, they have got life assurance. They've got death assurance, whatever insurance, whatever you call it. And whatever happens to them, their loved one will inherit quite a bit of money. Did you know that? <laughs> Check the drawer and to see if you're well insured. And then if anything happens, you're set up for life. But they think about the body. But how many people think about the soul? How many think about the soul? And there's nothing wrong to make preparation for the body and to look after that body. Nothing wrong whatsoever. God created it and we should glorify God in it. But what about your soul? Did you ever think that you have a soul? That's as real as the body. Just because you cannot see it, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that you have a soul. These verses of the Lord Jesus and Jesus said, I am the truth. He cannot tell a lie. He cannot deceive you and he cannot pretend something isn't there. He tells the truth and he said these words, what shall it profit a man if he were to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? And the Bible teaches me and you that we have a soul. It's as real as our body. It's precious. It's valuable. It's priceless. There's nothing in this world could ever compare to man's soul. There's nothing in this world, no matter how priceless it is. I thought, just as I'm preaching here, of the man who, did he go into some place in a gallery and lifted this vase? It was a million pounds worth. And then smashed it and said, oh, I didn't realize it was as valuable as that. That boy, no doubt, will get jail. But no matter what is priceless in this world, they'll tell you this thing and that thing and money couldn't buy it. I'm telling you now, there's nothing more precious and priceless in this world but the soul of man. Your soul. But the Bible not only teaches us the reality of the soul. But the Bible goes on in other parts. We haven't time to go right through the study. But it speaks to us of the immortality of the soul. The soul is not like the body. For the soul does not die. Did you know that? Your soul, so precious, so valuable, so priceless, so important, does not age like the body. It does not rot and decay like the physical body in the earth. That soul of yours, my friend, listen to me, will live the lifetime of God who created it in the beginning. That soul of yours, my friend, will live the lifetime of the eternal, almighty God of all creation. It is not like our body at all. And the Bible bears that out. I haven't time to go through all the references. I'll give you two to prove what I'm saying. Second Corinthians chapter 5 verse 8. Paul says of the child of God. One born again of God's spirit. Saved by God's grace. Washed in the precious blood. Trusting in Christ's work on the cross for salvation. That person when they die. Listen to it. Absent from the body. Present with the Lord. Amen. So when the body falls into the ground, where is the soul? Present, or the word which it means, at home with the Lord. 
And for those who are not saved and they die without salvation and without Christ as their saviour, the Bible tells me, Luke 16, chapter 16, verse 22 and 3, it says, The rich man also died and was buried. Who would argue that that's the body? The rich man died and was buried. That's the body. But listen, verse 23 says, And in hell he lift up his eyes, being in torments. The soul did not die with the body. The soul did not sleep with the body in Mother Earth. The body remains there, but listen to me, friend. The soul departs into eternity. Either heaven saved by grace or lost in hell. Dying in your sin. You see my friend. Whenever the eyes of the body fail to see. The eyes of the soul go on seeing. They will either see the face of the saviour. And the glory of Christ in heaven. Or they will gaze into the eternal flames. Of a lost sinner's hell. Because the body is not like the soul. And furthermore. Whenever the ears of the body fail to hear. And that's the last faculty that goes in a person. And I have been beside individuals who are literally dying. And they cannot move. They cannot even hardly move their eyes. But medical people will tell us they can hear. The last faculty to go is the hearing. And you know why that is? And I don't need the medical world to tell me that. All I need to know is the mercy of God. God keeps the last faculty functioning because faith cometh by hearing. Hearing by the word of God. So the last faculty God gives to man is that he might hear the gospel. And I'm thankful to the Lord that the last faculty they have, I was able to say to them, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, shall be saved and they've heard it and before they've died their family members with me around the bedside many of them have said the verse before they died one woman said to me in all my years I've never heard my father quote scripture and he quoted the text because he heard it whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and I didn't multiply the text. Didn't read large passages. I gave them one verse. That's all they're capable of hearing. One verse. Whosoever kept repeating it. Every visit. Every time. And kept saying. Do you know who I am? Do you remember the verse? Do you remember the verse? You know what it says? And I'm not sure how the family felt. I felt sometimes very uncomfortable. I'm sure their family members were saying. Would you give my father or my mother peace? They're dying. Look at you. You're causing them irritation. I'm telling you this, I want to see them saved. So they're passing out into eternity. And I have to bear that discomfort. And if they don't like me, and if they detest me, and if they speak bad things about me, it doesn't matter to me. Do you know why? Because there's a soul hanging in the balance that's just about to pass out into eternity. Oh, the family have the body. And they can do what they like with that body. And put it back into Mother Earth where God took it from. But what about the soul? That soul hanging, suspending by a thread of divine grace over hell. 
And if God only willed it, it drops into hell. And the last thing they need to hear is you're all right. They need to hear whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I don't know how many people have been at deathbeds. I can think of some now, right now, fresh in my mind. And I can tell you now, I had time with those people. And I thank the Lord they heard. They heard the word. But you know, whenever the senses of the body fail to feel anything, those senses hearing, they will either hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Or else they will hear, depart from me, ye cursed. Into everlasting fire prepared for the devil and his angels. And whenever the senses of the body no longer can feel anything, you could take the pin and you could prick every part of the dead body, they feel nothing. You could literally slap the hand, you could pinch the skin, you could do what you like, you could even give it an electric shock, it feels nothing. But the soul goes on experiencing either the joy and bliss of heaven saved by grace alone <coughs> or the eternal torments of a lost sinner's hell where the worm dieth not and the fire is never quenched. Did you ever think about your soul? For the Bible tells me not only about the reality of the soul and the immortality of the soul, but here's a distressing thought. The Bible speaks to me of the depravity of the soul. That soul of yours, if you're not saved, so precious, so priceless, so real, so valuable, so important, so immortal, will live the lifetime of God. It's stained by Adam's sin. And now it's become soiled by your own sin. That means it's cut off from God. It's separated from the Lord by sin. It has the mark of guilt upon it. And now your soul, it stands separated from God, cut off from the life and the fellowship and the enjoyment of your maker. And that soul, my friend, is unfit for heaven. That's why you have a soul that needs to be saved. A soul that needs to be washed in the precious blood of the Lamb. A soul that needs to be redeemed. From the slave market of sin. That soul of yours friend. Did you ever think about it? So precious. So real. So immortal. There's a soul. That is sinful. And unfit for heaven. And if you were to die right now without Christ. That soul will be lost in hell for all eternity. Did you ever think about your soul? You might say to me, well, there are many things I have in life. I would argue with you on that. There are some things in the mission I told you I'll not get controversial about. But there are some things I will argue over. And one of them is this. You possess nothing. You possess nothing. The only thing you have is your soul. How do I know that? The Bible tells me. We've read the verses. Look at them again. What shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? Listen to it. And lose his own. So, that's the only thing the Bible says you have. You say, well, I've got a big bank balance. You might say, preacher, you've come to the wrong congregation to talk like that. You might even say, well, I've got my own house. You might even say, well, I've no debt. And as far as I'm concerned, I have got assets. I've got antiques. I'm not talking about your wife or your husband here. 
I've got things that no one knows about. I've got jewellery. I've got pictures. Sorry, David, I'm not talking about you. I've got all these things. I'm telling you now. Did you ever notice it? There's no tow bar on the hearse. Why? I followed many a hearse. From Ronnie Thompson's. To Brown's. To Elwood's. Have to make a plug for Fred. And to many others as well. And I've never noticed a tow bar on the hearse. It's not there. Because you can't bring anything with you. And what you will squabble over on earth, you will leave behind. And your family will begin to squabble over. And what men fight over and kill for on earth, God pays heaven with gold. But I'm going to tell you something now. There's only one thing you come into this world with. There's only one thing you go out of this world with, and it's your soul. Did you ever think about your soul? And that's why in this mission, that's why it was convened. Because you have a soul. And we care for your soul. That's right. There's no offerings during the meetings. You know why? And if the treasurer is here, I don't want to offend you. We're not interested in your silver. That's right. We're interested in your soul. Your soul is precious. And we're not interested in converting you to the Free Presbyterian Church. God forbid. And I say this with love to my own denomination. I wouldn't cross the street to make you a Free Presbyterian. But I go to the ends of the earth to tell you about Christ and how your soul could be saved. And I trust tonight you will understand. Now, with these things in mind, let me say two things in in concluding. Am I concluding already? Hard to believe. Let me say two things in concluding. One, there's danger. Your soul can be lost. There's danger. Your soul can be lost. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world? That's impossible, by the the way. But even if it was possible, what shall it profit? It literally means, how could it compensate for the loss of your soul? The loss of the soul is so great. There's nothing in this world that this world could give me or I could get from it. That would ever compensate for one moment of hell's torment. Nothing is worth the price of your soul. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world or lose his own soul? And I've said to you from the verse, there's danger. Your soul can be lost. There are many things that you can do to your soul. In fact, you can starve your soul. You say, preacher, I don't understand what you mean by that. Well, I mean this. You can refuse to bring it regularly under the sound of the gospel. There are individuals, and we're not criticizing them, by the way. There are individuals and carried off and elsewhere, and they will not come to the gospel mission because they're starving their soul of what it needs to hear and what it needs for eternity, the gospel of Christ. And they starve their soul. They refuse to bring it under the sound regularly of the gospel, that it might have gospel exposure, that the Spirit of God might convict of sin and bring that sinner savingly to Christ. And as a result of that, they neglect their soul and they lose their soul. And there are others, 
and they murder their soul. Well, what do I mean by that? The love of sin. The love of pleasure. An unwilling heart to leave sin, to repent. You know what the word means? It not only means to turn around, it means to separate from, to cut loose with sinful ambitions and sinful associations. It means to be sorry for sin. It means to realize what sin has done to a holy God. A lady came into the inquiry room in Lisburn Church not too long ago. And when she came in, it was clear that she had financial problems and marital problems. And she wanted the Lord as a quick fix. And I wasn't too long talking to her. And another friend who brought her, they thought she was very sincere. And I said to her, well, tell me this. Why do you want to be saved? And she says, well, I've got a lot of financial problems and I've got marital problems and I'm not happy. And I says, well, I am deeply sorry to tell you, I can't find that in the Bible as a reason to come to Christ. That's right. Now tell me this, do you know you're a sinner? Do you know that your sin is an offense to God? And that you must get right with God. Put it right with God. For your sin is an offense to the Almighty. And the only reason a person comes to Christ is because they recognize, I've offended Christ. I have transgressed his royal law. And he commands, he doesn't suggest, he commands you to repent. In other words, they don't like this word today. He tells you what to do. He doesn't suggest. He is no poor, weak, insignificant God. He's a sovereign Lord of heaven and earth who commands you to repent of your sin and get right with him. We had a little banner up in our church in the old church in Lisburn. Uh, there was Lisburn Free Presbyterian Church in the old church and some of the letters had fallen off and it didn't make for good reading. If you were flying by, you wouldn't know really what church it was. You might have got Presbyterian, you might have got Burn, but you wouldn't have got the Liz and you might have got something E instead of free and you'd all that, but we had a banner and it says, get right with God. Boast not thyself of tomorrow. A little child came to our Sunday school. She was in our classroom in the school and the teacher was asking the children, which, school, which uh, church do you go to? They're all telling them, I go to the Methodist, I go to the Presbyterian, I go to this and so on. And this sweet girl put her hand up and says, Miss, I go to the Get Right With God church. Amen. And I thought oh, to myself, and she says, well, where's that, where's that? <laughs> and she didn't know where it was. And the wee girl I've got it right, you know. Yes. It's good to go to a church that tells you you need to get right with God. Amen. A young free Presbyterian said to his mum not so long ago, well, a few years back, says, Mum, I don't like going to your church. It's a free church. And it's not the only church, by the way, that's preaching the gospel. Don't ever think that for a that's moment. Right. But he says, Mum, I don't like going to your church. You know why? When I come out, I feel bad about myself. But when I go to my girlfriend's church, I can come out and have no thoughts about myself at all. You know, we're not here to make people uncomfortable. We're not here to offend you. In no way, but I'll tell you this, the offense of the cross is always there. That's right. And we cannot avoid it, friends. Listen to me. Listen to me. I could go on an extensive course of compassion. I could meet with the medical field, the psychiatrists and all different people who are skilled in helping people with problems. And I can learn from them about human behavior. And I can have every ounce of compassion in this small little body that I have. It's big that way, but small and sorry as height is concerned. 
And I could be filled with love. But I'll tell you this. If I'm faithful to God, I'd have to offend you. It's impossible the offenses must come, Jesus said. And there's such a thing as the offense of the cross. Why? It's contrary to human nature. And human nature does not like to be told that it needs to get right with God. And friend, listen to me. There are many people who murder their soul by the love of sin and they're unwilling to give it up. There are others who poison their soul. What do I mean by that? I'll tell you what I mean. It means literally they entrust the soul to the church. If you were to take poison into your body, it'll kill it. If you were to trust in the sacraments for salvation, it will kill it and poison it in hell for all eternity. There are some who entrust their soul and their salvation and their acceptance with God and the fact I'm baptized. I'm confirmed. I'm a church goer. I've read the Bible. I've said my prayers. I give to the church my money. And not only that, I help local charities. And I'm a good person. So your soul salvation is resting on all those things. You've poisoned your soul. Now you might say to me, preacher, you're well off the mark tonight. Oh, I haven't murdered my soul by the love of sin. I'm not poisoning my soul by entrusting it to the church. I certainly am not one who's guilty of neglecting my soul. I hardly miss a meeting. But could I suggest to you very kindly from the words of Christ that this is what you are guilty of. If you're not saved tonight, you've exchanged your soul for lesser things. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Jesus said it. Now I'm asking you right now, if you're not saved in this meeting house, why are you not saved? Why? I don't want you to shout it out and answer. Within your own heart, give a reason why you're not converted, why you've never been saved. Why? What's more important in your life than your soul? What is more important? What is keeping you back? What is it that you're willing to exchange your soul's salvation for? What is it that you enjoy more than getting right with God and repenting and receiving Christ alone for salvation? What is it? We had a man in our church some of the men here may not have remembered him, but they had men known him from Lisburn, David Shanks. And David Shanks came to our church from the early beginnings. Our brother David McLaughlin gave me a list whenever he was an assistant to Dr. Douglas. And I says, David, could you give me a list for visitation? And the list that David gave me, one of the first names that I looked on and visited was a man called David Shanks. And when I visited David for a full year, cut a long story short, I heard one of the men, my elders, praying in the early morning prayer meeting that David Shanks would be converted. And I went to one of my elders and I said, Are you praying for David Shanks? Is that David Shanks? Sits at the, yes, that's him. Sits at the back and he always has a hat and coat and he's a bit like yourself there, bald and his glasses. And he, he sits there and I says, well, that's David Shanks lives. Yeah, that's him. But I says, you prayed that he would be saved. Oh, David's not saved. He's been coming to this church for over 30 odd years and he's never been saved. I says, I've visited that man for a year. And folks in the church told me he was a founder member of the church. Oh, yes, he was here from the beginning. Oh, there's a vast difference in free church circles. A person who's a member of the church must be born again. Oh, they says, well, what we meant was he was there from the beginning. 
So you're telling me he's not saved. I have visited that man for a year and I thought he was saved. I went straight round to his house. And I says, and by the way, his daughter was always present. And if I was to ask David a question, I actually didn't know he could speak until his daughter was out of the room. I says, well, David, how are you today? And his daughter would say, daddy's fine. I says, well, David, we're out in the garden today. Yes, daddy's been out all day. I go, this man, no tongue. And then she said to me, would you like something to eat, Reverend Martin? And me being skinny as I am says, yes, I need it. But I says, yes, I do, because she makes beautiful fruit loaf, by the way. And I wanted a wee piece of it, but I wanted to speak to him on his own. And I said, yes, I do. And she way she went, she always took her time. I says, David, I need to ask you something. You don't mind if I ask you a question? Oh, go ahead. He said, I says, are you saved? I says, no, I'm not. I says, David, I apologize. I visited you for a full year. I didn't say I apologize. I said, I visited you for a full year and I didn't know you weren't saved. Now, David could ask you a question. Why are you not saved? And he looked at me and he says, well, I'm just too bad to be saved. I says, nonsense. And you know that. You've heard too many gospel sermons to know that you're not too bad to be saved. And there's no one impossible with to be saved. And God can save you. And here's what he says. Well, OK, I'll tell you the truth. No one has ever asked me in my life, am I saved? And no one has ever got as personal as that and asked me why. So I'm going to tell you. And he says, there's no one in that church or in this society knows this but I'm going to tell you I love to gamble and I couldn't give it up I says David you're 80 years of age boy and here's what I did I says David you're suspending your soul I don't like to use the, the language you're, you're taking a risk by suspending your soul by a thread of divine grace you could see the irritation and he was so uncomfortable and I did this in front of him by a thread of divine grace David and any time God could just will it in your souls in hell. I don't want to talk anymore, he said. By that, his daughter came in with a fruit loaf and all. I'd gone off the fruit loaf, believe me. I prayed with him, I read with him. I was deeply disturbed. Came back as soon as I could. Arrived in his house and his daughter, obviously. How's daddy today? Oh, daddy's fine. Is he out in the garden? Yes, daddy. And he says, well, get some of this fruit loaf. We get speaking to this man. Would you like a cup of tea, Reverend Martin? I would love one. Yes, thank you. And I says, David, tell me this. Did you ever think about the conversation we had the last time we were together? He says, I did. He says, I want to tell you something. I haven't had a bet from you left. Amen. And I says, well, David, tell me this. What's keeping you back now? He says, there's nothing. I says, would you come to the Lord? now?" he says, I would. Well, he stumped me because I didn't know what to do. <laughs> there's no textbook. You're not taught. Right, here's what. I went, uh, right, right. Uh, that's uh, what I do now. <laughs> here's the minister. Then I thought, the daughter were coming in with the tea. And the fruit loaf. And I didn't know what to do. And I says, well, I don't care if she stops me. I'm going to get this man to the Lord. Amen. I says, David, will you come now then? Yeah, I'll do it. I'll do it now. The two of us were praying. She came in. She set the tray down. She went straight out again. I don't think she was pleased. But I praise God that I had the joy of pointing David Shanks to the Amen. Lord. Amen. Three years later, David Shanks was in eternity. <laughs> Not before bearing witness to those around him that he had been born again what's keeping you back maybe it's not the sinful pleasures for all we know it could be something else do you know there's a high-ranking official in this province and that individual listen to it that individual now i think that person has retired i saw them recently in the lottery queue and this man does not need money 
He has reached the highest peak. But albeit he didn't get the top position, but he came close. In fact, he was running for it and then he pulled back. But many years ago, to cut a long story short, down in County Fermanagh, this individual, a high-ranking official in this country, went down to Fermanagh and attended gospel meetings. And his wife said as he was climbing the social ladder, here's what she said, long before he reached the position he's in. Now, if you keep going to those meetings and you get saved, and throw your lot in with those free Presbyterians. You forget about your career. So he had a choice to make. And that man worked hard. And fair play to him. He has worked hard. He deserves everything he has got. But he stopped attending those meetings. And he never got saved. And that day I saw him in the queue in the shop. I says, you should go to that man and speak to him. You should tell him, hey. I know all about you and what happened to you. Some friends of yours have told me exactly what happened. Now tell me this, what about your soul? And I said to myself, if I see him again, I'll have to challenge him. I don't care if it's public, I'll have to do it. But if he has claimed, hi, well done. And listen, I applaud him. By honest labour and truthfulness, he's done well and well done. But at what cost? Perhaps, God forbid, his immortal soul. Do you know there was a ferry heading out of the harbour and the captain said he'll pull up the tailgate whenever they're out in open sea. What happened was because of the, 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 the cargo on board pushed the, the boat down and created a bigger wave than expected. And those waves hit off the harbour wall and came in at the back of the boat. And when the water filled in where all the cars and lorries were it just literally turned it up and over 270 people, I think it was, I'm not sure, perished in 30 feet of water whenever they were diving to get those that had died. The saddest thing about them was some of them were clinging to their duty-free alcohol and their duty-free cigarettes, <laughs> holding on to life's possessions. But what about their soul? A woman was in her house, and I have to hurry on. A woman was in her house, read it in the newspaper. And as she was in her house, she was in her bedroom, just looking around, as we call it in Northern Ireland, footing around. And all of a sudden, she smelt smoke. And she heard the crackle of flames. And in an instant, she realised, my house is on fire. And in an instant, she looked around her room and she started to gather her belongings. I don't know what she filled her arms with. It could have been shoes, could have been clothes, could have been pictures, could have been money, jewellery, sentimental things. I don't know. Whatever she could see, she filled her arms with it. And all of a sudden, she dropped everything. For she just remembered. I had placed my little child down in the next room to sleep. That was more important to me than all of these things. She let them go. And she raced out of her bedroom. This is a tragedy. The flames forced her back in. She was rescued by the emergency services. And sadly, the little baby perished in that fire. Now, what sort of mind has that woman to think that I spent that time gathering what I thought was precious and yet the most precious thing, my little child, I forgot about. But don't condemn her, sinner, if you're not saved. Do you know why? Because you have done the same. And you're doing the same. You're gathering to yourself that which you think is important, that will satisfy you and bring you happiness. And what about your soul? 
Did you ever think about your soul? We sing with the children, I have a soul to be saved. Let this truth be engraved on my heart and my mind while I'm young. For how awful the cost if my soul should be lost. And in hell if I die as I am. I said there were two things. Secondly, there's not only danger your soul can be lost. But there's deliverance your soul can be saved. I'm glad tonight that a ruined soul can be a redeemed soul. That a depraved soul can be a delivered soul. That a sinful soul can be a saved soul. I'm glad that a lost soul can now be a liberated soul. And it's all because of Calvary. All because of the cross. All because of God's intervention into man's predicament. Only because of God taking the objective and stepping into our history and sending the second person of the Godhead, his only begotten and well-beloved son, the darling of his bosom, the heartbeat of God, became a true man, born of a virgin, laid in the manger, lived a perfectly sinless life, the perfect servant of Jehovah. And it's all because Christ satisfied the righteousness of the law in his life. And the justice of the law in his death. And on the tree, there was what is known as the great transfer. All my sin and all the sins of his believing, repenting people were laid on Christ. But you cannot transfer sin without transferring its punishment and transferring its penalty. That's why we say, Jesus paid it all and because of the cross you can be saved that soul of yours so real so immortal so sinful it can be right for heaven and eternity if you'll only entrust it to Christ if you'll only repent and come to the cross he will save you he will save you now and it's all because of the shed blood your soul And your sin can be saved and forgiven if you'll only come to Christ. God says, when I see the blood and the blood is applied to the soul, Mm. the full value, merit and virtue and the vitality and victory of the blood of Christ shed on Calvary can be made good to every repenting sinner. And if you'll come tonight, no matter who you are, no matter what you've done, no matter what your past is, no matter how guilty you feel or unworthy you feel, listen to me, there's room at the cross for you. Amen. And though millions have come, listen to me, there's still room for one. You. There's room at the cross for you. Now, are you going to leave your soul in sin? Are you going to neglect it another night and suspend it over hell if I could use the picture by a thread of divine grace and take the risk of losing your soul when it could be saved? And it can be saved tonight. You could come in a lost soul and go out a saved man or woman or young person, boy or girl. Don't go away without Christ. Love to labour the point, but time has beaten me. Let's bow briefly in prayer. Amen. Loving Father, we thank thee for thy presence already. Bless the preaching of thy word far and above man and what we're able to do. We feel, Lord, in our weakness we have delivered our soul.
But Lord, we pray thou will deliver souls. Amen. Save individuals in this house, yeah. in this mission, every sinner that comes in and has been prayed for. We pray thou would save. Thou wouldst answer prayer. Mm. Part us in thy fear, with thy favor. Watch over us in the incoming week. Mm. Prepare us, Lord, for the preaching of thy word. We've already heard, we've set aside at noon as the two hands of the clock are pointing upward. Oh. So may we lift holy hands to God. Right. May our heart cry be, Lord, have mercy. Mm. Save, Lord. Make it Peter, Lord, save me. Make it individual, personal, convict of sin, Lord. Give repentance and faith. And Lord, save for thine own eternal glory the souls of individuals. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.